Let's, let's stand up and read the Word of God together. We're just going to get into it. We're reading out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those men and women that you send into our lives to help us in our progress. God, I I pray that we would see our own need for grace. Grace not only to be saved, but grace to grow. And God, I thank you that you have put people in our lives to be conduits of grace. People who can help us follow you better. And at the same time, God, I recognize that you have called each of us to be conduits of grace to those around us. That there are those whom you put in our lives so that we might be conduits of grace to them. And God, I pray that you would help us to see that you give us people who can help us in our progress and that we can be people to help others in their progress. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, this summer I broke my wrist, as some of you saw, and uh, I wish I could say that I did it in a street fight and it was awesome, warding off werewolves and, and badgers from protecting my family, but I was, I was rollerblading and I, I just goofed. And, uh, and because Jermaine and I are both in our middle age, um, <laughs> my, my body just gave up. It just was like, no, no, you shall not pass, you shall not go. And my wrist was an S shape, which if you look at your wrist, it should not be. It's more of an L shape. So there's an additional joint. Um, So uh, it took a number of things to heal it. Uh, It took surgery. It took rest and recuperation. And it took physical therapy. Now, I I, I don't, going into the process, I didn't really think of the need for physical therapy. I looked at it and was like, this is definitely going to require some sort of intervention, um, hopefully involving uh, something to, to take the pain because it hurts a whole bunch, uh, and I was not surprised by the idea of surgery, but I was a, a little surprised by the idea of physical therapy. Um, it seemed a bit foreign that I needed someone else to help me relearn how to use my wrist correctly, but that's exactly what I needed. I needed someone to help me relearn how to use my wrist correctly, how to strengthen it, how, how to not exacerbate the pain or the inflammation, and ultimately how to get back to uh, working at 100%. In our lives, we can be the same way. You know, because of our own sin, because of our own brokenness, because of the brokenness of sin of those around us, we're all in process, and, and we recognize sometimes the need for God to heal us. We recognize the need for maybe, okay, I need to stop doing this bad thing and start doing this good thing, um, But sometimes we think, I don't need other people's help in the process. I don't need other people to tell me what I need to do. I don't really, in fact, want people in my business. I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll listen to Pastor Eddie, and and I will make sure that my my spouse uh, applies all of the 
the applications to his or her life. Uh, but as it relates to me, I don't need someone meddling in my life. But, but that's exactly what we do need. And family, I want you to hear this, that, that God gives us people who can help us in our progress. Sometimes we'd like to think, you know, Jesus, just download it to me, pray, and, and let me pray to you, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become more holy. And, and we just want to click it and see the download progress, and then at the end, we want to be, okay, I'm holier. The problem is that's not how humans work by and large. He uses people to be conduits of God's sanctifying, life-changing changing grace. Now, now, the end result is excellent. We become more glorious, like Pastor Duke was praying. We, we, we exude his glory. We, we show that God is glorious. But the process can be painful because God uses imperfect people. We, we will see, though, that God uses these people to be helpful in our progress. So, wow, okay. Um, so we see here that, that Paul's been talking to these Philippian people and, and expressing his, his heart of love for them, his joy over their progress, and at the same time, a desire for them to grow in grace. If you go to, you don't have to go there, but if we were to just look at the last two chapters, he says in, in chapter 1, verse 9, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you could approve what's excellent and be pure and blameless. He's talking in language of growth. I want to see you grow in love, grow in your holiness, grow in your, your expression of Christ's life in you. He goes on in chapter 1, verse 27, and he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He's saying, look at your life and assess it. Is it worthy of the gospel that has saved you? Are you, are you living a life that, that holds up to the standard of Jesus Christ who has saved you? He's calling us to live at a standard. And he goes on, and he, he gets specific. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in a full accord and of one mind. Don't do anything from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. He's not just saying, okay, in general, be nice people. No, but he gets into our business, and he begins to say, be humble, and, and we all nod and say, yes, we will be humble. But then he says, no, no, seriously, be humble. As it relates to that, that person that you don't really feel comfortable with at church. As it relates to, you know, when your spouse says something that you don't like. When your kid mouths off to you. Not that you don't bring discipline, but you do it in humility. Be humble. He goes on, chapter 2, verse 12 14, my beloved, as you've always obeyed. So, so now, not only in, in my presence, but also... Much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, take what God has given you in the gospel and work it into every aspect of your life. Now, these are all commands that he has given them, but he knows that they'd benefit from someone being with them. You know, for me in physical therapy, there was one thing for someone to give me a piece of paper and, says, and say, okay, do these exercises. It was another thing for someone to to show me, okay, this is what you need to do, this is, and provide some accountability, to provide some direction, to, to see and assess my progress and say, okay, you know what, actually, you don't need to do this exercise, you need to do this one. He understood that it would benefit from someone being with them, and so he makes plans to send Timothy. Uh, why? Why does he send Timothy? Well, for one, he's in jail, so he himself is not able to go at this point. Um, there's some conversation among the commentators about whether or not there was an expectation. You can go and, and read those. It's great. But the point is he's planning to send Timothy. 
And there are three things that commend Timothy uh, that he lists out. And these three things are things that we can, they can become a grid through which we receive grace from others. Individuals whom God has placed in your life who, who evidence these three characteristics have been put in your life to, to further your progress in life. So I want you to listen to these, not just as things that Paul's interested in for Timothy, for the Philippians, but something that God wants you to seek out in others and for you to, to develop in yourself so that you can be a Timothy to someone else. All of this as a result of the grace of God in our life. The three things are, one, a genuine concern for the welfare of others, a genuine concern for the welfare of others, two, a commitment to the interests of of Jesus Christ in the lives of others. And then three, a commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19 with me. So he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered of your news. He wants to find out how they're doing. He wants to know about their actual progress. He's aware that there are some, some dynamics, we might say. That's the Christian way of saying fighting, infighting. We're having uh, dynamic conversations I have dynamic emotional responses to the people around me. Uh, he's aware that they have some challenges, and he's giving them encouragement. But again, he doesn't seem uh, satisfied to leave them alone with a letter. When I was, when I was growing up in, in the 80s and 90s, um, kung fu was everything, and ninjutsu was everything, because Ninja Turtles. I don't argue for it. I'm not saying it makes sense. If you look at it in culture... There are a lot of things that are super popular, and you're not really sure why, but they are. And so I was pretty obsessed with, with the Ninja Turtles, with everything Kung Fu, everything ninjas. There was a whole swath of movies about kid ninjas. It was awesome. It was a great time to be alive. Um, I enjoyed it greatly. And I got my hands on a book about learning ninjutsu, which, again, think a 10-year-old boy you know, you need throwing stars, nunchucks, swords, didn't have access to swords, um, probably was a good thing, and, and you could learn to be a ninja from this book. And you know what I learned? You can't learn to be a ninja from a book. <laughs> you can learn about ninjas, at least as this guy wrote about, supposedly, but you can't, you can't learn, t- the kind of martial arts that you learn from the book it's very evident when you perform that martial art that you've learned it from a book. Because, and I, I did take martial arts, it, t- it takes someone looking at you, seeing your form, saying, oh, no, no, you need, to, you need to spread your legs wider, you need to turn your hip, you don't need to turn your knee, you need to extend through the, there are things that you have to see to correct and direct. And so, Paul understands that, that the Philippians would benefit from in-person help. And so he, he talks about Timothy. Verse 20 says this, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. There's nothing quite like someone who cares for you. Um, I could probably list a dozen people who, who have cared about what I could provide for them. Dozens of people who have come into my life with a, an agenda, a desire, a hunger, something that they wanted from me. And, and I know that you've experienced the same thing. There's, there's a very clear 
for most of us, I think, experience of someone who wants something from you. You can tell when someone wants something from you. How many of you know of someone who cares for your welfare without regard for what you might be able to offer them? Those are, those are rare relationships. Sometimes it's our parents, but even then, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's that, it's that, that person who has stepped into our life, that, that older man or woman who has helped direct us. Someone who is interested in our welfare because they care about us, not because they want to get us to some place so that they can then use us for something. Timothy was the type of person who was interested in their welfare. Not only is this a rare thing, it's a valuable thing because when someone isn't focused on their welfare but your welfare, they're going to do what's right for your welfare. When someone comes to you and they have an agenda, something that they want to accomplish in and through you, they're not as interested in how you're doing in the process. Now, in the short term, we've experienced that sometimes people maybe, they bolster us, they help us, they, they, they do things for us, but in the end, it's for the result of, of, of their own benefit. That's not what, what Timothy's interested in. He's going to do whatever it takes that will benefit them. Um, sometimes that means listening and, and hearing how you're doing. This, these are the types of conversations where, where you, you get to have a, a listening, where someone hears you. They don't interrupt. They don't interject. They don't try to fix. They don't try to change. Um, you know, these are the, the types of conversations that husbands, we, we slowly and, and stumblingly learn to have with our wives. You know, I've got this thing going on, sweetheart. Well, I can fix that. and I don't want you to fix that. I want you to listen. Okay, and this is what's going on. Well, I can fix that. I don't want you to fix that. I want you to listen. Okay. Uh, I'm going to fix my behavior by listening. Okay. And, and, and we struggle with listening. Sometimes caring for, for others' well-being means that we'll, we'll bring them a meal. We'll care for their physical needs. We'll, we'll see that there's something going on in their life and we'll address it, even if at times it puts us out. And sometimes it means having a tough conversation. I'm so thankful for those men in my life who have had tough conversations with me because they were more interested in my welfare than they were in feeling good about how I felt about them. And this, is, this is a tough one. This is, you know, as a parent, it's a tough one. You want your, your kids to love you and to be happy with you, but you have to have these moments where you say, no, you can't juggle knives. I want to make you happy, but you, you just can't. And in the moment, little Billy's not happy about that. But if I'm caring for his well-being, his welfare, I'm willing to do that. In each of these instances, someone like Timothy is going to be motivated not by their own needs or desires, but by, by your welfare. Which leads us to the second characteristic in verse 21. He says, for they all seek their own interests but not those of Jesus Christ. So he says, I have no one like Timothy. I've got no one like Timothy who seeks, who cares about your well-being. And he says, because they care about their own interests, not the interests of, of, of Jesus Christ. Now, two things stand out to me. First of all, if, if you've been paying attention, he's repeating that language of the interests of. Do you remember we heard that earlier on in this letter? In, in chapter 2, 
He says in verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And then listen to this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but what? To the interests of others. He's saying that there are a lot of people who are not looking to their interests, but to the, their own interests. They're, they're not living this kind of humble life. I don't have a lot of people like Timothy who, who, are, who are living humbly. But then the second thing that I notice is that rather than st- saying that Timothy is committed to the interests of the Philippians, he implies that Timothy is, inter- is committed to the interests of Jesus Christ for the Philippians. I'm going to read that one more time. He says, for they all seek their own interests. And then he says this, not those of. Now, I would expect him to say, not those of you guys. They don't seek the interests of the people they're caring for. But he doesn't say that. He says, they don't seek the interests of Jesus Christ. Because to be focused on someone's well-being ultimately means that you're going to be focused on what God wants to accomplish in that person's life. Um, Paul is appealing to an even higher standing standard of their welfare. Uh, sure, they have concerns for themselves, and, 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 and Timothy could hear those, those concerns and, and address those concerns, but Timothy also knows that God has desires and concerns for them. And what's the difference between being just interested in, in the interests of the Philippians and being interested in the interests of Jesus Christ for the Philippians. What's the difference between these two? Um, if it's just their own focus, they may just be focused on, on their physical well-being. You know, please help us. We, we've got needs. We, we need clothes. We need food. We need shelter. But Jesus is concerned about their eternal well-being. Certainly their physical well-being, but ultimately, where are they going? Who are they going to, to follow? And, and, and who are they going to bow their knee to at the end? We might be concerned for our temporal comfort. You know, I, I really, I, I don't want to do that thing. It's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. And, and if we're just interested in someone's well-being in the short term, we might say, oh, yeah, okay, well, you don't have to have that conversation. You don't have to apologize. That's, I know that's discomfort. That's uncomfortable. You don't have to walk out humility. You don't have to do those things. I know that's uncomfortable. But if we're interested in what God is doing in someone's life, we might challenge them, you should do that thing challenge their, their hunger and desire for comfort and say it's, it's far better for you to be uncomfortable in the moment in order that God's purposes might be performed in your life. We might choose to defer hardship to, pervert, to preserve our comfort, but Jesus might bring us hardship to develop our endurance. I'll say that again. We might choose, if we're focused on our own welfare apart from what God is doing on our deferring hardship to preserve our comfort. I don't want to do that thing, it's too hard. I don't want to go to that place, it's too hard. I don't want to repent repent of that thing, it's too hard. But Jesus might bring us hardship. He might bring us hardship to develop our endurance. This this harkens back to, this goes back to to Romans where where Paul's talking about God's work in our life. In Romans chapter 8, chapter 8 verse 28, and he says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, Paul is saying, 
when God is at work in your life, he's going to use all of the things in your life for your good. That doesn't mean that those things that he brings in are always good. Hardship is not good. Pain is not good. People sinning against you, that's not good. But God, in his sovereignty, is able to use those things for your good. And someone who is committed to the interests of Jesus Christ in your life is going to recognize that and is going to lean into that. I don't know how many conversations I've had. Uh, well, can I put you on the spot? I'm, I'm doing it. Pastor Duke, I've had conversations with him. Doesn't matter if you're okay with it at this point. <laughs> um, where he's looked at my life and, and rather than saying, you know, Eddie, I'm really sorry that you're going through this hard time. How can I, do you want to go get ice cream? No, he, he said, you know what, it sounds like you're in a storm that God has, has orchestrated. What, what do you think he's teaching you in this moment? I'm like, I don't care what he's teaching me. He's teaching, where, where's the exit button, Pastor Duke? Where's the eject? But by the grace of God and by your own experience, I think he says, I don't know. I don't know where the eject is. The eject is with God. There isn't one. He, he's, but he's been a man, and there have been others who've been people who have been interested in the interests of Jesus Christ in my life. They've been interested in my well-being, but not just me feeling like things are going well. The third thing, and, and really the, the foundation of all of this, is that Timothy was committed to the gospel. Verse 22, verse 22 says this. He says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with his father, he has served me in the gospel. This was a young man who Paul had met and kind of just brought him under his wing. He had discipled him. He had cared for him. He had taught him the gospel. Timothy had labored and, and, and worked hard in the gospel. He, he's pastored people. He's thought about life. He's thought about life in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we come to church, and, and maybe you're here. You think, okay, I, I recognize, okay, I, I, I've messed up. I've, I've done bad things. I'm going to go to church, and, and God, please forgive me. And, and that's, that's it. That's, that's the extent of Christianity for you. Someone stops you on the street and they're like, are you a Christian? And you're like, yeah, I mean, I, I believe Jesus. But, but it doesn't go much deeper than that. Well, Timothy has, has understood that to be saved by Jesus is to follow Jesus. He, he's helped others understand how the gospel impacts their lives. right? In light of what Jesus has done on the cross, how should I treat others? Well, Jesus was humble, he was patient, he was kind, he was forgiving, so I have to be humble, patient, kind, forgiving. How should I love my spouse? Well, Jesus, as he loves the church, he's self-sacrificial, he cares for her, he, he washes her with the word, he, he's committed to her, so I have to do a better job of being a husband. How should, how should I care for my children? Well, God the Father has loved and adopted and, and poured out his his unconditional love, undeserved love. He's provided everything that we need for faith and godliness. He's given us a path forward. He's promised our future. He's ensured that, that our end is a positive end. So I have to live a life that reflects that. How should I treat people 
who are outside, the widow, the orphan, the marginalized. Well, when I was an enemy of God, the Bible says that he chose to love me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How should I think about politics? Well, if Jesus is Lord of all, then I can have opinions. I can be an active person. I can be thankful for the place that I live in. But, but God holds my ultimate allegiance. How should, I, how should I think about my money? Well, if I am a slave of Christ, none of, none of the things that I own are mine. Now, they're entrusted to me, but I'm accountable to him as my master. Timothy was committed to their welfare and to the interests of Jesus Christ in their lives because he knew that the gospel changes everything. And when you can't see how the, the gospel should impact your career, it can be helpful to have someone in your life who can see that. When you, when you can't see how the gospel can, can bring hope to a diagnosis, it can be helpful to have someone in your life who does see. When you can't see how the gospel can change your habits, it can be helpful to have someone in your life who can help you. Do you see, family, that we need other people? Some of you have been, been sold a, a bill of goods that's no good, that Christianity can be done by myself, that I'm not responsible to anyone, that I can be autonomous, and that is just a Christianized idolatry. It's just putting Christian language around the idea that I can be my own God. I don't know about you, but the deeper I go into Christianity, the deeper I go into trust in Jesus, the more dependent I realize I am. Not the less. I wake up and I'm like, I am worse than I thought I was. I am weaker than I thought I was. I am less effective than I thought I was in my own strength. But it's in that moment that God says, okay, great. Now I can start to do something. When we recognize our dependence, when we see that we need something, then we can see the people in front of us not as obstacles to be uh, moved around or, or pawns to be used, but as, as conduits of God's grace. We can see the, the hardship that we experience, the difficulties that we experience, and recognize, oh God, I know this is painful, but I thank you that you're at work. And, and I, don't, I don't say that, you know, guys, do it like I do it. It's, it's, it's usually, ah, and then I get to the end, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then we go through it again, oh no, the storm has come again. And that, that forgetfulness just washes over me, and then you know, a Pastor Duke or a Pastor Jim or someone else will come to my life and say, you know what? I think God's at work. I think God's at work. I think you need to tweak these things. I need to repent of this thing. But God's at work. And, and I can, oh, yeah, the Bible. <laughs> I forgot. We all need a Timothy. And we all need to become like Timothy. So he's going to talk more about another guy named Epaphras, so we'll touch on some of this more. But as we, as we close, who who's your Timothy? Who are your Timothys? You know, what was, it was really cool. People came up here on stage, and, and they committed to participating in church life. And I don't know if you committed, but you committed to, to me being in your life as a pastor, to Pastor Jermaine being in your life. And not just as a like, hey, buddy, we're... But, but, but maybe even saying things like, oh, you probably should change this. You should do this a little differently. I'm praying for you. Who's your Timothy? Who cares for your welfare? Who's committed to the interest of Jesus Christ in your life?
Who's committed to the gospel at work in your life? If you, if you, don't, if you don't know, find someone today. God, God is at work in your life. The fact that you're in this room is evidence that God is at work in your life. And there are people whom God is willing to put into your life to bring about change, transformation, growth. Secondly, how is God inviting you to become more like Timothy? Some of you, you've been kind of hesitant. You know, I think older men and women, sometimes you feel like, I, you know, I'm happy to talk to someone, but I don't want to put myself out there. And, and as, a, as a middle-aged, right, middle-aged, younger man, um, I invite the older men in the room to, to start a conversation. Older women, I invite you to start a conversation with the younger women. We, we need it. And then younger men and women, seek out these people. Don't waste their time. Ask good questions. Listen and then do what they tell you to do. That's, that's discipleship for me. That's what I've learned. Is you, you find someone who's a little further down the road following Jesus and you try to figure out how to step into their, their shoes as they step in in Christ's shoes. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you, I, I thank you for the unique and sometimes strange privilege of receiving supernatural grace from very, very natural people. I pray that you would help us all to follow you well by following the people that you've given us in our lives. And God, I pray that for those of us who are further down the road, that you would help us to see those behind us and to invite them to follow us with, with intentionality. I pray all this in the name of our Lord Jesus, whom we are all following. Amen.